Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. I almost don't need to say that anymore. No. Because it's always here us. all the time. Yes, now. it is. Yeah. Until I run you off like I've run off many <laughs> oh, others. It'll happen. It'll happen. It, it will. <laughs> One day. All right. Uh, but hopefully we don't run off our, our guest because uh, she sounds really fun. Yeah, she does. She does. Whitney Caps. So Whitney Caps is the author of a brand new book, Sick of Me, From Transparency to Transformation. She's the national speaker for the Proverbs 31 Ministries, which I love. I love the ministry. Um, my wife will often, Whitney, my, my wife will often email me the devotionals or email me things from the ministry and Every time I read wow. it, I'm like, oh, this is so good. That's a very kind compliment. It really <laughs> does. Listen, we joke that we are a ministry for women, but, you know, truth is not gender specific. And yes. so we hope that a lot of what we teach, um, if we're being sincere and truthful um, to the word of God, that that guys, gals, anybody could read it and be like, yeah, man, that that's truth to me. So thank you so much for that kind compliment. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And I love uh, the way that you are, uh, you just have a passion to, to help women connect their passion with their purpose for the glory of God. And uh, so what's neat is, and we'll get into our five questions, but what was neat about your bio, I was like, man, so you served as a talent acquisitions professional uh, that's what for, I to talk about. for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Everybody wants to talk yeah. about Yeah, I know. Listen, I lo- let me just, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's, it's kind of a fun way of basically saying um, HR team. And so at Chick-fil-A, it's called talent acquisition. But I had a really fun role at Chick-fil-A. Um, when I was on the team, we were expanding to the West Coast. And so my role was to find franchise partners who wanted to work with us, particularly in California. And so I was calling people who had no concept or context for Chick-fil-A. And so I would talk on the phone with people and they would say, no, no, what is Chick-fil-A? And so I got to kind of try and explain what Chick-fil-A is. And um, if you are familiar with California or been on, on the West Coast much, I would often say, well, we are the in and out of the East Coast. I knew you were going to go there. And so we kind of have this same kind of cult following and people love us, but we're chicken, not burgers. And so it was just such a fun way to tell the Chick-fil-A story and then find people who kind of were passionate about our core values as well. So it was super rad. I loved it. It was a wonderful, wonderful gift to work for the Cathy's. So did did the, the did their, our West Coast friends, did they respond like, how dare you? When you <laughs> compare them to in and out Well, I mean. they, they were, yes, you know, listen, don't, don't come at me about my in and out, you know? Oh. So, I mean, they were, they are super committed, <laughs> super committed. But in the same way, I think people on the East Coast feel similarly passionately about Chick-fil-A. And so it was just kind of helping them understand, listen, there's plenty of love to go around for the quick service restaurant. And um, we are super big fans of in and out. And so we were just kind of bringing our own version of that out there. And so once they kind of got a sense of who Chick-fil-A is, they were much more um, much more on our side. And so it was really, it, like I said, it was, it was super, super fun. I really feel like that would be a good match if, you know, somebody had like almost like a duplex restaurant that had an in and out on one side and a Chick-fil-A. Right? <gasps> that, yes. You could kind of alternate. I think that, that would, would be, be super awesome. I don't know. I think people's brains would explode. <laughs> that wouldn't, I, I, I honestly don't know how that would work together. That's you would true, have so many true. people standing in between being like, just not knowing where yeah, to go. What do I do? Because so they torn. both have great I'm shakes. So That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and because know. the In N Out fries are so distinct. And 100%. Then, yeah, and then you have the waffle fries, which are so yeah. good. Yes. So, wow. Listen, I totally agree. It would, I think a lot of people would be handicapped by indecision it's and just, just suck. Yes. Just, or there'd be a lot of overeaters because people would eat them both places. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> you could maybe, I don't know, maybe there could be a divider. In the yeah. fries. That's well, right. and then plus oh, they're both Christian owned, right? Yes. Because you got yes, the Bible verses on the in and outside. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Yeah. There really are in all sincere, there are a lot of connections between the two that I think um I think are really awesome. It's good to see um those entrepreneurs building a brand um on biblical principles and seeing um God's favor and his kindness. And so it was like I said, it was it was wonderful. If we talk long enough, I will probably say it's my pleasure. So just know um, it, it, it is not completely intentional. It becomes somewhat um, a, an, an auto response. It's culture, um, man. It's still there for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, so we're not here to talk about Chick Fil A, but uh, but we but, could because a lot of going. my leadership training for sure came from Chick Fil A. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reason why people are attracted to it is because that's what church and the gospel and uh, that's what it's yes. supposed to look like. You know, believe it that's or not, why you're attracted to it and you don't even know it. Yeah. So, so one of the former interns on our team, while I was going through the resumes and trying to figure out who to who to interview and who to choose, literally one of the one of the applicants worked at Chick Fil A. And even before I interviewed her, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to hire her. <laughs> right? And then I interviewed her and I was like, oh, I'm totally going to hire you. <laughs> yeah. That's such a good word. And listen, we say all the time, our people, our people are the secret sauce. And, and I still oh, say our, gosh. which is really weird. But it like anytime Chick-fil-A releases something new or something new happens, like I call my friends, I'm like, hey, tell me what's going on. I'm yeah. so excited. Um, but I do think our people are really kind of where it's at. And lots of people can copy lots of things about Chick-fil-A. But I think the people are the distinctive. Yeah. And um, w- that was ingrained for us. Talent was a big deal in hiring the right people. Um, we said often we can train a lot of things, but there are some things you cannot train. And so we hire for those. Um, and so it was just, it was, I'm not lying. So much of who I am as a leader was really built by Chick-fil-A and the Cathy's and the people that I worked for at Chick-fil-A because they just, they do it right. Um, and so, so many, um, in so many regards. Man, that's incredible. I just Whitney. want to put this out there that this episode is not sponsored by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Although we it would welcome, not, but we would be open to be. it. Yes, you know that's I mean, exactly right. You know, it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. Thousands of Chick-fil-A points oh, will also work. Yes. We would Thank totally sell our souls for that. Yeah. That all right. That's all right. Exactly okay. So, uh, do you Whitney. Want to question one? No. Uh, before the question. Oh, okay. Before fine. the yes. question. So, Whitney, you wrote a fantastic book, Sick of Me, From Transparency to Transformation. And when Janae, our publicist, was talking to us about it and just every, all the, the I don't want to say hype because sometimes hype can feel shallow and your book is not shallow. So yeah, just tell us about the book and who you wrote it for and, and just what, yeah, the heart behind it. Well, let me just say as a first time author, um, it, to even use the word hype, um, makes me feel good because as a first time author, you're terrified. <laughs> Let me just say, I wrote it as an act of obedience, not fully convinced that anybody would ever read it. So the mm. fact that somebody has and that there's any measure of hype around it um, is such a gracious compliment. Um, but I really did. I, I never envisioned myself being an author. I love to teach God's word, but I don't think of myself as a writer. I think of myself as a teacher. Mm. I think if you read the book, you probably pick up on that um, because it, it probably does lean a little bit more teaching heavy, but I hope in a pretty accessible kind of way. Um, but I wrote the book, um, primarily, as I said, as an act of obedience. So listen, this is hyper selfish, but it it was really a book for me walking through the process and realization, a painful one that I had traded sanctification for self-help. And I was walking out, um, spiritual disciplines and not seeing fruit. I was experiencing frustration, not fruit. And um, uncovering the source of that frustration was when I discovered that I was not pursuing sanctification. I was kind of bootstrapping this thing mm. and that my life had become gospel adjacent, not gospel centered. And so those realities, like it, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of an in the trenches, um, kind of rugged book. I don't really write from the blessed other side of this. Um, it was real time and it, those were hard things for me to admit about myself to say publicly, of course, but just that I was doing a lot of spiritual things because I wanted to look a certain way, because I wanted to please people, because I thought it was what I should do. And to some extent, I had thought that sanctification was about doing better and missed that the call is actually for us to be better. And so um, it was really just walking through that process. What is the gospel call of sanctification? How do we pursue that, but also sit with the process that God is doing internally? I had the pursuit part down. Listen, I'm a type A firstborn. You tell me what to do and I will do it. I'm a to-do list gal, but I was missing sitting with the process that God was trying to do inside of me. And there's also some kind of emotional part to that in that a lot of what he wants to do inside of me is hard and painful. And um, I was trying to rush past that and just check things off a list. And so that's really what the first half of the book looks like. And then the second half is what does that look like within the context of community? And um, I was a girl who could own my brokenness and be very transparent, um, but I wasn't being better. And so what often happened was I would show up in small group and I would kind of confess all of this stuff. 
Mm. And I discovered that what I really wanted was their affirmation, not their accountability. So I would leave feeling better. It was super cathartic, but it didn't really change me. And so again, I was missing the sanctifying part of transparency that we're called towards transformation. And so, um, yeah, I won't lie. It's not really your curl up in bed kind of bedside <laughs> table read. Yeah. Um, but it was, um, I, I believe in the message. I think it's necessary. I don't think it's just me. Um, the women that I've connected with and, and, and guys too, who are like, listen, the outside's pretty girly, but the inside's really not. Mm. Um, I think they've said you put into words this sick of me feeling that I have, but I couldn't really no. articulate it's- yeah, it's so good. I mean, that that comparison that you do between self-help and sanctification, Aww. I mean, right? I mean, you, you said self-help uh, has me at the center, sanctification has God at the center, and self-help's end game is my happiness, sanctification's goal is my holiness. So just that gospel-centered, rooted worldview, um, it's it's so important. Even as I, as I preach at my church, it's just, you know, I'm, I, I always have to remind myself, I'm like, hey, th- these 30 minutes might be the only time once or twice a month that someone is going to hear the the gospel that it's not about self-help, but it's about sanctification. Right. And it's not about yeah. what they can do, it's what God has done. And that's why books like these are so important because with, you know, the the, lower, the lowering attendance or frequency of attendance uh, in, in church and then just the fact that we are so inundated with over 5,000 marketing messages every day telling us who we are and how we need to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Books like these are just incredibly important for our spiritual health and our ongoing sanctification. Well, thank you so, for that. And yeah, listen, let me say it is a both and. But, uh, who we are in Christ is so important. But I think without meaning to, the church has kind of inflated that and we've made our sermons super practical and wanted people to have a takeaway and enable and equip them, all of which are good. But unless we balance that and unless we are um, hyper intentional to keep the focus on the Lord, if you teach me about my identity in Christ. Listen, this is, I'm sure just how sinful I am, but my sinful nature will ratchet that up and I will get focused on the identity part and forget the in Christ part. Mm. And so this book isn't meant to say that those things don't matter. I just want to balance all of the equipping and all of the practical and all of the things that are necessary, but that should be the outworking of what is happening inside of me. I am not a let go and let God and that we don't have to do anything and, and that it's all been done for us while that is true. I do think we have a responsibility, but it, it, it is that we are to respond to what is happening inside of us. And so for me, I just needed more balance in my faith um, yeah, where I, I spent more time focusing on the Lord and who he is and the in Christ part rather than the in, than the identity part. I was telling somebody, I spoke last week and I said, you know that song, um, I am who you say I am. Mm-hmm. I the important that. part of that song is that he is the I am. Yes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't get, I don't get to be any, I, there is no who you say I am if he is not the I am. Yeah. And so if we miss the I am part of that, that he first was the I am, then, then all of that is meaningless. Um, so anyway, like I said, I, I try and be very honest. This is not to, I'm not really trying to pile this on anybody else. This is the, the conviction that the Lord placed on me. Um, and I needed it desperately to really kind of reorient myself around the gospel at its center, not just kind of bumping into it periodically, mm, you know? Mm. So good. So good. Well, you know, a lot of times we'll talk about how a lot of leadership is just learning in front of people. That's a, yeah. a big part of being a, a good leader. And it's obvious from um, just what you've talked about and the way the book is written that that's it, what you were doing. And we we greatly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to shift us into our first question, which is also sure. about learning. Uh, and that is, who are you currently learning from? Um, well, as I, I talk about this a good bit in the book, but I am blessed to sit under, um, uh, he's my dad. So I should confess, I probably, um, have lots of daddy issues. So filter this however you want to. I am, um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm crazy about my dad and I'm not objective, but I will say this as objectively as I can. He is a thoughtful, diligent teaching pastor. Mm. So every single Sunday I take massive notes and just, um, just as a leadership tip, listen, I think when, when we commit 
the time and energy to go to church on Sunday morning, which is a call. So that's, that's not an option. We should go. But when we go, I think we should show up as learners. And so I take insane amounts of notes um, because I, I want to learn while I'm there. Mm. And so I sit under dad every Sunday and um, he is a teacher at heart. So he teaches theology every single Sunday. Um, six months ago, he was teaching us the chiastic structure of Philippians, which, you know, that's I can say this because I know it's it's not so that I can throw around a word like the chiastic structure of Philippians. It's so that we have a good understanding of the context of Philippians and mm. don't kind of ratchet it out of context and make it contemporary and, and immediately personable, personally applicable to me. But understanding the historical context. And so he's for sure the first person that I learn from and learn from most regularly. Uh, but that's, I don't think unique. I think we should learn from our pastors every Sunday and show up to do the work. But one of the things that has been a goal for mine for 2019 is to try and read um, more from people who are not my contemporaries. So okay. a lot of people who um, either are dead or who are a lot older than me. Um, because again, I am fighting against my own selfishness. And I think, um, I don't know if it's just me. Y'all can speak into this. I don't know if it's just me, but I think there's a tendency in our generation to want to read everything from a 21st century lens, mm. maybe not even that, but from a 2019 lens, from a Western lens, from a white Anglo-Saxon lens. And so trying to read things that were true and written about from a perspective that this is true for all people in every age, in every generation, for all people groups. That's cool. Um, what, what are some of the recent ones? Well, I, I don't want to say this because it sounds like I'm, I, so right now I'm working through Augustine's Confessions, okay. um, which is tedious and I, I, I probably a little bit more ambitious, but I also have been reading, um, which he's still alive, but um, of a different generation than I am. I've been reading um, some stuff by Dr. Walter Kaiser. So uh, oh, partly yeah. for some research that That's I'm good. doing, but I'm, I'm just a really big fan of his. So it's not books, but it's um, literature and essays and um, commentaries and things like that. And I, I hesitate to say all that because I'm not, I am not smart. I am not a seminarian. I'm a regular gal, but I, I, I think the Bible deserves diligence and hard work. And so I'll confess to you, most of this is beyond me. And so I'm not I'm not breezing through it. Um, it is it is hard and tedious work, but it's stretching me in really, really great ways. I love that. Oh, I love that. One of my disciplines um, every year is to to read a book. I think that's like older than 1980 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I have, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, older than me. Kidding? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just something that's that was written before I was born. Something right. that was because uh, it's so. There's so many. There's so many great resources out. And that's been out in the last 10, 20 years that mm -hmm. um, sometimes you just got to get, you know, yeah. turn back time a little bit and or see the time back to where people weren't distracted by <laughs> it's true. phones yeah. and TV. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they wrote differently too. They I, did. Think, I think they expected more of the reader. Yes, they did. They expected a lot more. Uh, and listen, that's not, the, I don't think that's contemporary author's fault. I think that's the reader's fault. Mm. But uh, I think, I think older, both. well, uh, yes, we, uh, fair enough. Look, fair but enough. we're writing uh, to the reader. So we are writing to, the reader. And I think, uh, um, it's a both and. So let's say it's a both and, but I do think older authors and older, like you said, you know, published before, you know, the 1970s, eighties, I just, I think they expected more. And yeah. I think when you expect more people generally rise to the occasion, now it, it might not move a whole lot of copies, but I think your reader is going to rise to the occasion. Um, and so I think that's really exciting. I say when I teach women, um, there is simply no excuse for a, a, a person breathing millennial air to not know and understand God's word. Mm. Like we have more free resources at our fingertips than any people group, any age in human history. Like it, it, it is genuinely an embarrassment of riches. And um, I think it's such a gift to be alive and able to have the resources that we do to study God's word in 2019. It really is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, Whitney, for you, your leadership, uh, those around you, your team, I mean, what, what would you say uh, is just the main point of emphasis right now? Well, um, one of the things that I'm challenging myself to do and, and that um, we kind of talk about regularly is um, 
uh, let me just say this, and this this is important context. People often ask me, do I read God's word just for enjoyment? Hmm. And I have to confess, and I think it's because I'm a teacher. Anytime I study God's word, I am asking questions about it. And so I'm constantly, it's the way I'm wired. I'm thinking, why was this preserved for all Hmm. of human history? Why is this detail important? Why, Why save space for this little story or for this individual or for this detail. And so it's really hard for me not to ask those questions when I'm studying God's word. So I think it's the way I'm wired and the way I kind of consume. So if you, based on how I read, I don't know that I would say I read a lot for enjoyment. So that's kind of caveat number one. Anytime I'm reading it, I'm digesting it and asking questions and taking notes and I'll flip to another passage or that sort of thing. But I am trying to make myself read it without thinking about how would I teach this? What, what, what's the theological implication here? How does this connect to something else? So I'm trying to make myself do that where I just um, sit with a text, which is really, really difficult for me. Mm. Um, my husband, um, he is great at that. He can genuinely read God's word and just enjoy it. And I don't, it's, I think um, to say that sounds, um, sometimes can sound simple, but there's a beauty in that simplicity that Chad can open God's word and just enjoy it, just read it mm. and glean something and be like, man, that, that was so good. And I kind of want to, I, I want to ingest it and, and sometimes kind of um, attack it in a way like I want to take it apart and I want to understand what's going all those kinds of things. So uh, one of the things we talk about on our team is just reading God's word just as consumers in the sense of it is good for us. And I think even reading it and just appreciating the gift that it is can be good for us. Yeah, um, and I talk it. about that a lot when I'm with women, because women a lot of times will feel immense amounts of shame and guilt, especially in if they're in those young years of motherhood, that they can't spend these luxurious times studying God's word. Mm. And I believe it, but I think it is worth saying that I think there is still God's word is so pregnant that we can get something from, he can do a lot with a little, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so um, it is good for us to give him two minutes and not walk in shame over the fact that for a mom who has toddlers at home, she, she legitimately may only have three minutes. And I spent years of early motherhood walking in so much shame because I only had three minutes. Now that's not the phase of life I'm in anymore. So I, I, I can't get away with only three minutes. That, that's shameful on my part because mm-hmm. I do have more. But for those who legitimately are in a season of life where this this is their best, to say God God can do a lot, His Word can do a lot with three minutes. Yeah, completely. I mean, and that's why I love love the first five app that you guys have with Proverbs thirty one, and and I mean just that just that if everyone can just even take three minutes, right? <laughs> right. Not not if you're serving in a church, not if you're in a leadership position. I mean, that's. I mean, yeah, definitely a lot more than that because we need, where's our power coming from, right? Where's our wisdom Absolutely. coming from? But but for those around us, it's like, what would it just look like if instead of spending the first five minutes on Facebook, we spent it in God's word and- 100%. Yeah, it would just make such a difference, so. Absolutely, yeah. That's and good. I think one, one of the things I love about First Five, and this is not to diminish, um, I, I, I'm a massive fan of She Reads Truth and they do this well too. But I think there is something about- Um, appreciating what it is to read God's word for its truth rather than for my personal application. And so um, different than a devotional, I think there's something really powerful about just sitting with the truth of what God's word is saying before jumping to kind of what is my takeaway and how does this need to change me? Um, and I think that's one of those, th- one of the things that both of those do well, which is, just, Hey, here's the truth. Yeah. This is truth. And truth has the power to just kind of let you marinate in it and really do something really profound for us. Even if we're not really sure what to do with it at the end of those three minutes, there's mm-hmm. still something really powerful about just understanding and hearing truth about God and who he is. Okay, so we've talked a lot about spending time in God's Word. Um, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna bar you from answering this next question. Fair, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, what are one or two? You're things... barring the scriptures. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he's playing the Sunday school answer card. Yeah, right? The other yeah. thing That's I would where say, we are. Is, listen, I'm as, fine with that. Yeah. As we've been talking, uh, I, I did happen to think about um, there was a, a very uh, dear pastor who passed away this weekend, Warren Wearsby. Yeah, for those right. for those listening, if you don't know who Warren Wearsby is, uh, please Google him and please look up the B Read series. Read him, yes, yes. Look up the B series. So as we're talking about uh, one of my favorites, yes, oh, yes, B series, one of my favorites, absolutely yeah. amazing. It um, held my hand through Daniel, like it, like I, I had, uh, yes, one hundred percent. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Okay, so I just had to put that out there for for whatever reason. Uh, him, uh, just amazing. Okay, so back into the question, which is, um, what are one or two things that you have to do every single day to stay sharp as a leader? Sure. Um, so full disclosure, um, I nap not every day, but most days. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is I, I have an autoimmune disease called Crohn's disease, which makes me... Um, I have to pay attention to my body, which has not always been a discipline of mine, but I do think it's an important spiritual discipline and one that I ignored for a long time. Um, and so I have to have some time to recharge. Um, but also in this, so, so that's um, physical, but there are also some habitual things that play into that. I'm still very much a night owl. Hmm. So honestly, probably 80% of my book was written between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Wow. Um, for whatever reason, that's <laughs> yeah. when I'm sharpest. Um, I think it has something to do with the fact that my people are asleep. And so I can't get up and do laundry or I, I'm not tempted by all of the things that happen in my house that kind of call my name during the day. Um, I'm kind of handicapped by the time of night. And so I'm hyper focused. So I do stay up really late and I maximize that time because it works for me mm -hmm. for whatever reason it works for me. But I, the reason I say that is I do want people to know I do rest during the day. So I'll lay down for 30 or 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. And it really does refresh me midday to kind of have that last push towards the evening um, to be with the boys and um, kind of be on. So not ever, churchy, not, not to hyper spiritualize it, but that's important to me as a leader. Um, so, just, so Whitney, yeah, with that, with that midday nap, do you ever do the, the do you drink coffee? I'm not a coffee drinker, oh, you're not. but just to be oh. fair, I, I, I do drink, like I drink Coke Zero. Okay. So that's one of my favorites. Do you ever do like the double boost? I don't know what the technical name is where <laughs> you down a lot of caffeine and then you take oh, a nap yes. right away? Yes. <laughs> no, no, I don't typically do that because I kind of, um, like I love my nap time, so I kind of gear up for it. So it okay. makes me really, really happy. So no, I'm, I'm kind of preparing for my nap usually okay. a couple of hours before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Dive, but that's interesting. I oh, like I love that. it. I love That's it. That's really I do that, interesting. Mostly when we're traveling and yeah. I've had a, yeah. a rough travel experience or I never sleep well the night before, you know, okay. the, the night I get somewhere. So the next day, if I've got a break in the afternoon, that it works perfectly because the caffeine will wake you up mm -hmm. about 20 to 30 minutes in. Yeah. So I then you, like you that. pop back up really fresh. Yeah. Which is why you can't down the caffeine and wait 30, 45 minutes and then True. try to take yeah. a nap. Then you're All just right. miserable. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. You guys, that is going. That's in my playbook now. I like it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna work that in for sure. I dig it. Oh, but speaking awesome. of, I will say that's one of the other things. And I don't do this daily. Um, but one thing that is a regular for me. So I am an introvert who plays an extrovert in real life. And so um, because of God's call, I have a friend of mine who's like, I just feel like sometimes when you're in your ministry mode, it's not your most authentic self. And mm. I, I said. But my most authentic self would not leave my house and not talk with people ever. And I can't do what God has called me to do and be my most authentic self. Yeah. And so let me just say there is embracing who I am. And then there is embracing the call of God on my life. And so um, it's balancing those two things. And so for me, I'm very intentional. One or two times a week, I will go out to lunch all by myself hmm. in a public place and read a book. And my extrovert husband, my extrovert mother, like feel really badly for me. And I'm like, please don't feel bad for me. I am so happy and so good. And I'll turn my phone off and just read and eat. And um, so just as a leader for me, those are times when I'm reading things that I just enjoy, that I can sit and highlight and go back. And yeah. it's playing a Mexican restaurant with queso and guac. And so 
practically. Again, I know neither of those things are real academic, nor are they probably super beneficial. But for me, um, that's a real, those are real necessary kind of personal help. Yeah. Whitney, that's, that I have to do. that's, that's so, that's so neat. Um, I'm the same way as I'm, I'm call it like a, a learned extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm definitely, even last Friday it's, and it's interesting how you talked about the, the, the true self, the authentic self and all that, because even last Friday, Christina, my wife, um, took the kids to this painting and mommy thing at our church. And, and then I was just going to go, I just went to the driving range and I hit a couple buckets, a couple hours and it was just all by myself. And, but there was this part of me where I was so excited just to do that. Yeah. And on the other hand, there's this other side of me where it's like, you should bring someone with you. You should right. do this with someone. Or it was the ministry side of me yes. that was popping out. And I was like, Oh, so I kind of feel guilty going by myself, yeah. but, but I've been running really hard. I think I need just some alone time. <laughs> yes. So it, it, well, it, they definitely do clash. They do clash 100%. And I feel that tension. I wonder if you can emphasize with this. Anytime I get on a plane, yeah. having done oh, ministry, yes. I'm like, Lord, I love you with all of my heart. Please don't ask me to talk to the person yes. next to I will. I will, Jesus. I love you first, but please don't make me. And yes. so uh, one of the things that I have journaled and prayed, and listen, if you want to speak conviction or clarity into this, I welcome it. But I'm trying to reframe my brain in that I am not carving out time alone for me. It is time alone for me and the Lord. Hmm. Because I am very much in my head um, as an introvert. Um that time when I'm sitting in a restaurant, and this is not to be like all oh, Jesus-y, yeah. but I do feel like I'm having a date with the Lord. Mm. And there, I'm having dialogue in my brain. And there, it, it feels like this is different than my study time, different than, it's like if I were going to have coffee with a girlfriend where there's not an agenda. Sometimes those alone times like that feel like that for me and the Lord. And I hope I'm not just trying to over spiritualize something selfish. And so if it no. feels that way, I welcome your accountability. No, 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 but no, no, it, it no. It feels I like time just for me spiritually to just be with the Lord. Yes. And that's not a, I just need me time and I'm just connecting with who I am. I try and be an intentional to use it for things that I think are spiritually beneficial and that are kingdom minded, but it is just me. And so no, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to rebuke you or anything like that. Maybe okay. Todd will, but, um, I don't feel like rebuking. Uh, well, no, because, and, and this is where it really first came, um, to head for me where I would be sometimes reading the Bible or, or spending time, you know, in, in with that, even reading another book, but to help my sanctification, to help my growth. And, and I would fall asleep and, and sometimes I would feel guilty about that. And I remember a discipler saying, actually, that's not, that's okay. You're just resting in the Lord. <laughs> and it's not that every time oh, I read the Bible, no, 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 seriously. It's not that every time I, cause I, you know, you know, Todd, you know how hard I run that it's, yes. it's not like I'm just falling asleep every time I read the Bible, but there's a sense of, Hey, I want to spend time with the Lord. And what does that look like? And, and resting Absolutely. is as much a part of that too. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Listen, it is. And I, I think, uh, especially if you have a personality type, where you're kind of bent towards doing. Yes. Um, I think we can feel a lot of shame if it feels like resting. And so just. Or you're just Baptist. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't Instagram anything I say. Just Instagram that from this interview. That's so good. That is a true story, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but it is trying to, to understand what that looks and sounds and feels so like. For sure. That's yeah. so good. I mean, the discipline of rest is not one that comes naturally. No. You know, I mean, it really is not. Yeah, completely, completely. So, so you talked about your home and how you spend a lot of time in the evenings writing because I, I'm guessing the kids are all in bed and, they are. Uh, you know, yeah. all that. So, so what does your home life look like and what does leadership in your home look like? Um, that's a great question. Um, one of the things, this is just a, a, it's, it's been a newer discipline and habit that we have implemented. Um, but my husband, Chad is legitimately probably one of the most exceptional leaders, um, that I get to watch lead up close. Um, he is collaborative and yet really decisive. Mm. And I am neither of those. I can kind of get in my own head and I can kind of waffle a little bit. And then you add in that a people pleasing tendency. 
Um, and sometimes I can be my own worst enemy. So as a mom who is a full-time stay-at-home mom, but who also has a ministry that fits within that context somewhere, one new thing that we have developed is um, I kind of hit a wall, and this was about two years ago, where I was just, I, I had said yes to a lot of really great things and um, didn't really have a good filter for if a good thing was the right thing for right now. Mm. And I, I was talking about this with Chad. And when I say talking, it was primarily crying in what was very nearly a fetal position. And so feeling very overwhelmed and completely ineffective in all of the roles that um, I currently serve in. And he said, listen, I want to free you from the ability to say yes to things. And he said, so from now on, if somebody asks you to do something, I want you to say, that sounds great. Let me go home and talk with Chad and let us pray about it. Yeah. And I won't lie. My first inclination was like, don't try and be the boss of me. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to hyper-spiritualize. Yeah. I was like, oh, I submit. That's so gracious and kind. But he said, I think you feel the pressure to say yes, and you you see it as a good opportunity. And I just, I want to free you from that obligation. And so mm. legitimately for the last two years, I'll come home and I'll say, hey, this is something somebody has asked me to do. What do you think about that? And we have dialogue about it. And he, listen, he is not the guy going, no, you cannot do that. But he is a good, Chad is very realistic, whereas I can be very optimistic. Mm. And so in our home, for me as a leader, it is submitting to his gift of a good sense of what reality looks like. And yeah. I am a dreamer and my, when I'm a strengths finder, I'm futuristic. Um, I can see the potential in things and not completely understand the reality of what that future might take to kind of accomplish. And so we have over the last couple of years found a pretty happy medium where he, he helps balance that out and he has said no to things. Um, and I've been so grateful. And just as one practical example, when B&H and Lifeway, um, when we started having conversation about writing the book, um, I had been approached for about the last five years to write a book. And okay. at every time, Chad said, no, I don't think it's the right season. I don't think it's the right season. And full disclosure, I thought, I will never get this opportunity again. You don't understand how uh, rare it is for yeah. somebody to ask you to write a book. And this is not going to happen. I have to say yes, but this every is Every time the opportunity came up, that's how you yes. felt? Yeah. 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 Um, and so I just submitted and said, okay, Lord, then maybe I'll never get the opportunity to write. So when it came back up, he actually drove to Nashville with me and he sat in the room and he heard everything. We got in the car and on the way home, he said, it's, it's, he said, if, if they say yes, I think this is the yes season. And I think you need to say yes and you need to write. So imagine how much more powerful it was to step into that moment knowing, yeah, I, I know that this is God's will because mm. Chad, who has been generally very protective and thoughtful and real about the demands that this would place on our family is now saying yes. And so for us, that's what leadership looks like in our home, that we try and manage that in a really, um, I hope kind of, um, complementary and kind yeah. of way. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's a fascinating approach. Um, and, and I, and I really do believe that anyone who does have that public, um, the public stage and even within a, a local church context, I mean, there's yeah, extra 100%. funerals and weddings and there's just so many extra things that can be placed on us in addition to our regular responsibilities. For those listening, what advice would you give them um, if, if maybe they don't feel like they can do that with their spouse or their spouse has kind of said, I don't want to be the responsibility yeah. of that? Do you think they should allow their board or the elders to be that for them or should be friends. I mean, talk to us about uh, help our listeners process through this idea of not making the decision themselves. Absolutely. And listen, let me just say, there are those precious few who can look at something in a reality of the situation and balance the emotion with the necessity of what demands it's going to require. And I think that's tremendous. So I don't want to say because I have this weakness that everybody does. However, I do think that a lot of people in ministry feel the call to serve and that can kind of overwhelm kind of our sense of what everyday life looks like within the context of our home. Completely. And so um, I do have um, friends who are in ministry whose spouse, while they may be completely supportive, does not want to serve in that function. And so I can think of one friend in particular. She has a prayer team of about five women. 
who mm. all get the opportunity to help pray and help her filter through opportunities. Um, they, they watch her live her life up close. So they know when um, her college student is struggling and he's about to be home and they have a good sense of, gosh, is it, is this the right time for you to be away? Is this the right time for you to pull back because you need to write? Um, and so I think inviting the right people into that small circle. And I'm going to paraphrase this because I'm not going to get it quite right. But I read Beth Moore say, honesty with everyone, friendship with some, intimacy with a few. Hmm. And so I think there is a level of discernment of who, who do I trust to help me make those good and wise decisions? Who loves me, but also loves and appreciates the call that I have. And that's, that's not true for every person in my life, not because they don't love me, but because they don't understand that this isn't something that I just volunteer to do because I like to talk, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, and so it does take kind of an understanding of this, this is a call and I want to be obedient to it, but that my primary ministry is to my family. And so balancing that is always, man, it, it takes a lot. It take it takes a lot. And yeah. I don't always do that well. That's super helpful. And and you know what, Whitney, you said that your primary ministry is to your family. And, you know, I believe for all the men listening, that's true for us as well. Yeah. <laughs> and when, I, and yeah. let me say, I learned that from my dad. So I'm a PK. Yeah. And I learned, I watched him make decisions that probably were not super popular in terms of ministry and in terms of his career. But he always made decisions that showed us that we mattered, that we were not an appendage to his ministry, but that we were the ministry. And I think as a result, I can tell you that I never look back at my life as a preacher's kid and never have I been jealous of or angry at the church because of what it cost That's me. incredible. And so I think as a preacher's kid, that's a tremendous gift to give your child to say, um, And I remember dad saying this, and I have said it to my boys. If I had a choice, I always choose you, but Mm. I don't always have a choice. Mm. And so that has, and I have said to my boys, listen, if I had a choice, I would not miss this basketball game if I had a choice. But this one, we feel like it's something that God has called us to do. And now my boys are, they're older now. So this is not true when they were young toddlers, but now I'll come in the door and they'll say, mom, what happened at your event? Did women get saved? Like they, they look for the spiritual fruit, which is, listen, that's such a gift that they, they think that's like, they, they they look for, and listen, I'll come home and be like, listen, guys, I didn't get to see any of what happened. I think there were things that happened, but not anything I could tell you about, Yeah. but they, they are bought into that. And so listen, I, we don't have it all figured out, man. My oldest is 13. Like I'm sure he's going to need all kinds of therapy, but we (laughs) just, we're doing the best that we can. And we say, Chad and I say to one another and say to the boys, the most important lesson we hope you learn from us doing ministry is that you are not the center of our world. Mm. And that's, that's it. We love you like crazy, but you are not the center of our world. And I mm. think that's a prayer that God will honor in a way that protects their heart against yeah. bitterness. At least that's our prayer. That's a, uh, listen, I don't know, man, but that's our prayer. That's, that's so a, good. that is such a good, uh, that's a, such a good way to say that, and I hope I hope our listeners um, appreciate that. Appreciate what you just shared and the the weight of that, but mm-hmm. also um, for men and women. Yes, yeah. I'm thinking for men. Oh yeah, I'm a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, for for men and women, I, I would also want to caution people. You could also use that line in. The to, opposite yes, direction. As it, to oh. enable you to make really bad choices. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Really bad yeah. Yeah. They right. could enable 100%. you to use that line on your wife or children or your husband or whoever uh, and say, oh, you're not you're not the center. God is. Yeah. Like, yeah. And God's 100%. like, that, I didn't tell you to do that. That's exactly <laughs> Yeah, right. I didn't tell you to say <laughs> yes to that. I didn't tell you to do that. That's it. Don't use me as a compound. I have not your license. Yeah. And God I think that's why the balance of, <laughs> and I heard this often, if I, if I could choose you, I would choose you mm. every time. And I watched mom and dad both choose us often. So I felt like they struck a balance where I could go, yeah, you, you probably should have gone and done that, but you, you were here at this watching me at a cheerleading competition, which let's be clear. I mean, 
It's six hours to watch your kid for two and a half minutes. Bless, bless, bless. But they did it, you know? And so I think it, you're exactly right. It has to be that balance. Sometimes we're going to get a yes and sometimes we're going to get a no. And so it's just handling that tension um, really wisely, um, which is not easy. Man, easy to teach, hard to live. That's good. Well, I do want to ask uh, our last question, and that is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? Oh, I, I love this question. Let me just say, I think this is such a good question. I don't know that I have a good answer, but I knew my answer <laughs> right away. So I don't know if this is a good answer, but I know it's what I would say, my 20-year-old self. So there have been several things throughout my life, um, and I, I felt the call to ministry when I was 18, um, I was actually um, at a women's conference and hearing a woman teach from the stage. And I thought, I, I want to do that. I want to teach. So I assumed that I would go to seminary. My dad's a seminarian. My brother's a seminarian. Just assume that would be the next step. And God very clearly said no. And I was devastated. I mean, I, I really was quite frankly devastated. And I wasn't sure that I could have a, a ministry of teaching outside of seminary. Now, let me just say this. I am pro-seminarian. I believe in seminary. And I think we should have um, qualified people to teach. Um, I wouldn't go to a doctor who wasn't credentialed. And so I think it is important that we have people who are credentialed speaking and teaching into our lives. So in no way do I put myself on the same level as those who are credentialed. Um, I try and be hypersensitive to have everything checked because I don't, I don't have that. But I was really terrified that I couldn't do what I felt like God was calling me to do because he'd said no. So what I would say to my 20-year-old self is that um, I, do, I don't think it is possible to miss God's call on your life if the daily prayer of your life is, I'll say yes to today. Hmm. Whatever today looks like. I was real concerned with trajectory and next steps and 10 years down the road and how do I get there and there was always a sense of what if I've missed it? What if I, I, sh I turned left when I should have turned right? What if I should have said yes to this? What if I should? And now having done ministry for, gosh, 16 years, I can say saying yes today in whatever small way ensures that you'll be precisely where you're supposed to be mm. 20 years from now. And those things that you say no to, they don't disappear. They, like he brings them back. And really, I, I was so afraid that I would never get to write if that was God's call because we'd said no. We said no. We said, I mean, I would come home and she was like, baby, you, you have three toddlers at home. I don't think this is the right season to write. He would say, you've got two kids in school, but you still have two toddlers at home. And so all of those things. Um, so to my 20 year old self, I would say, you're not going to miss it. You, you will not miss what God's call on your life is if you just simply say yes today. Mm. Um, but I felt the pressure of kind of trying to have the big strategic plan and that 20 year, I want to get, I would love to be able to do that and serve in this way and have these opportunities. And <laughs> none of it looks like yeah. what I would have thought. And yet it is infinitely better. Amen, sister. I'm, ex I'm totally there too. That's awesome. <laughs> Feel better. That makes me feel, better. That so makes me feel a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm I'm sure you've had people come up to you, and they're like, "Oh, you know, Whitney, I I wish I want to I want to be, you know, how do how do I how do I do yeah. what you do? One hundred percent. Right. And I, you know, the response is always, "There's <laughs> faithfulness. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's totally a God thing. One hundred percent. There is not one opportunity I've had that I engineered. Mm. Like it, all of them came out of left field. And I'm like, it is all and only the kindness of God. Yeah. How, yeah, let, yeah. let me give one caveat to that. And this is what I tell every person who ever asked me that question is, if there is one thing I did right and well, and I think it's biblical. So I don't, I, I don't think I'm making this up, but I do think it is. I don't think there's a prescription, but I tell every young woman who comes up and asks me, I say, please serve in your local church. There is no skipping that step. I started in my local church. And believe me when I tell you, it is the hardest because these are the people who know you. They see you up close. It is scary to stand up and serve there. But I, I, I have seen very few people who are serving in their calling and in their area of gifting in a way that 
is maximize for the kingdom, not maximize for platform, mm. maximize for the kingdom who skipped serving their local church. Wow. And so I think, I think if there is one thing, and man, believe me when I say I did a lot of things wrong, but if there was one thing I did well, it was believing that this is the most important place I can serve. And this is the best place for God to develop my the gifts that he's put inside of me. Now, I, I also was in a rare situation where my church was very supportive. So I'm empathetic to people who say, yeah, I can't do that. But I would say at least try there first. Yeah, that's really I think that good. should be our first place to serve. Love that's that. a good word for everybody listening, for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Whitney, for being with us on the podcast. Whitney Caps is the author of Sick of Me, From Transparency to Transformation. Thanks for... Um, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. How it's can people connect with you? Fun. Super fun. Listen, I'm on all the socials. So Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you want to get my handles, you can go to WhitneyCaps.com. But yeah, I'm pretty active on social media. So I love connecting with people. Um, that is my local church girl nature. And so um, anytime I can make social media feel a little bit more intimate. That's super fun. So follow me, um, shoot me a message and I'd love to connect. But you guys, this has been super fun. Thanks so much for what y'all are doing. Absolutely. And let me just say, um, Lifeway and BNH have long been a dream partner of mine because I love that you love the church. Mm. And um, that's such a gift to the kingdom. And I'm so, so grateful. Uh, everybody that that is here pretty much bleeds the local church. Yep. Like you don't yeah. fit culturally. One hundred percent. No, I joke when I travel because people because I'm neutral, so I'll come in and talk with people, and I don't know their church, and they kind of want to tell me everything that's wrong with the church. And I have had to say regularly, listen, I, I am obnoxiously obsessed with your local church, so mm. I'm probably not the best person to like. I will cut you. Like <laughs> I, I don't have to know your pastor or your pastor's wife. I will defend them because what they are doing is, is so much harder than you can even imagine. Yep. And yep. they may be wrong in a thousand ways, but believe me when I tell you, it's harder than you can fathom. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm obnoxiously passionate mm. about the local church. And so I'm so grateful for you guys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Whitney. I've loved it. Well, it was so fun to have Whitney on. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's a mom of four boys, mm. obviously, Southern lady. I'm sure she, you know, like carries herself really well. Yeah. At the same time, I think she might cut somebody over the truck. <laughs> I think yes. she's legit. Yeah. I think she would do really well on our team, actually. <laughs> she fits in the DNA. She does. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Boxy. It's true. It's true. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Be sure to check out the Ask Me Anything podcast as well. It's with J.D. Greer and Matt Love. And recently they've covered topics like how Christians should engage with social media, J.D.'s biggest preaching influences, and just, man, every week, every week, great questions that he answers. So just look up Ask Me Anything on your favorite podcasting app and listen today. We'll catch you next time.